Tony Duchesne here, and welcome to episode 102 of Drinks with Tony, where I get to chat with the big-time famous comedian, Judy Gold, about her book, Yes, I Can Say That, When They Come for the Comedians, We're All in Trouble. Hi, I'm Judy Gold, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Judy Gold. She's the author of Yes, I Can Say That. When they come for the comedians, we are all in trouble. Hi, Judy. Hi, how are you? Well, I'm okay. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, so if it's Drinks with Tony, like, where's my drink? Yeah, we're boozing. No, we're not. <laughs> drinks with Tony has become this I started it in 2002. When right. I used to tape in bars, when I used to get lubed up so I could talk right, to others. Right, right, right. And then now I've gotten older and it's just coffee or water these days. Yeah, that's what I'm drinking, coffee. It's a lie. Unless. Well, but it's I a see, drink. It's ex- a drink, Tony. Exactly. And that's what's important. Yeah. Everything, everything else just kind of falls yeah. into place after that. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I love having you on this on the show and your and your book. I just it's so important because it drives me nuts, especially with the comedians. I feel okay. Whew, I feel like comedians are the philosophers of the now. What? Of course. Well, I think we've always been philosophers, but it's like you know, we are the truth tellers. We do tell the truth because only the truth is really funny and you can't really bullshit when you're a comic. I mean, it's just not funny. And people are so threatened by the truth now, especially with Orange Fuckface. And it's, it's interesting that we're getting shit on. Um, and all we're trying to do is make you laugh, make you think and make you, which is what a good joke does. A good joke makes you think and it makes you laugh. Um, and I, you know, I was, I was going through the book yesterday and there is a Will Rogers quote that, you know, I wish I had it exactly, but it's, it's, you know, he said, you know, we're at the point now where we're taking our comedians seriously and our politicians as a joke. And that's what's happening. And that was in like, what, 19, early 1900s, 19... 30? I don't even know. But it's, why are we being, it's like ridiculous and stop taking yourself so seriously. Yes. People taking themselves so seriously. And also, why does everyone think they're the host of The Daily Show? Oh, I know. Because of social media, Tony. Because everyone has a soapbox. Everyone has like, I'm going to go on and I have this many followers. It's like, it's ridiculous. Yes. And the, and the, it's it drives me. This is this is, okay. This is what's crazy about social media because I am I am addicted to the blue thing, the Facebooks, right. and you know it's and I feel bad about it. <laughs> but you at should. the same, no, at the I'm kidding. <laughs> no, at least bad. you admit it. At least you admit it. Most people don't admit it. You know. I feel bad about a lot of things. I'm really yeah. open about all of them. Yeah. Um, but uh, the uh, what do you call it? Just people, people are like trying to scoop the news. Right. It's like if somebody, one, if a celebrity dies, who's going to get it up first on uh, Facebook? I'm like, are, do you all write obituaries now? What right, right. The, I, have, I didn't know you even know who Joan Rivers was until you posted about her death. You know, it's like. Right, right. It's, I there's, no, there's no reverence for where we came from how we got to this point, you know, the book, um, there's a lot of history of, uh, you know, of comedy and censorship in the book. And, you know, so many comics and other people are like, you know, it's so interesting because I learned so much and I laughed. And the greatest thing about writing this book was that I did have, I had some, I had examples for every point I was trying to prove like hilarious examples. And this, there's no, when you take intent, context, and nuance out of satire, you're done. And, and I write in the book about how, like, if you are on trial for homicide, 
Your sentence is determined by your intent. What were you thinking before? Did you plan? You know, and yet yeah. we don't give the same consideration to comedians. And stop taking yourself so fucking. And also, what is this new thing where you can never be uncomfortable? That you have to be protected from being uncomfortable. It's so safe space, safe space. Every safe space has a door to the real world. It's so, I can't take it anymore. And I feel like it happened because, you know, we, everyone gets a trophy. You know, you get a trophy for yes. winning the race and breaking the record and you get a trophy for smiling while he did it. No, that's yeah. not life. They, they, these people didn't break an arm on the playground because the playground had padding like this thick. Right, right. It's like, we did. We broke our arms. And it, and it makes us better. Right. The, the important thing is the struggle. We're like humans. We have to struggle. If, right. If, we don't, we don't, if I don't struggle, I don't get up in the morning. And I'll never yeah, get up exactly. for the rest of my life. I'll right. lay in bed. But, they, but we, have to, we have to struggle and we have to have stuff. We have to. How do you grow? How do you grow yes. and evolve? You know, and because people don't have these experiences, they're telling people what they can and cannot talk about. You know, I was talking to this friend of mine who teaches stand-up, and she's also an author, and her name's Karen Bergreen. But she, she teaches stand-up, and she wrote, she called me, and she said, look, I have this student who's like 16 years old, and I have another student who's in her 50s and is the child of Holocaust survivors. So the child of Holocaust survivors is writing material in the class about being a child of Holocaust survivor and, and making jokes about how they played, you know, they had a game called the Holocaust where they play hide and seek, you know, like they, just their experience growing up being children of how, you know, that's what she's basing her material on, which is what we base our material on. Right. Material on is our life experience. And this kid said, unless you tell her she can't talk about that or talk about the Holocaust, then I, I cannot take your class. And so, so Karen said to me, what do I do? And I said, fuck him. Who yeah. the fuck is he to tell someone? That's her experience, you know? Yeah. It's, you know, these kids are like, oh, you can't say this and you can't say Yes, you can. You can say it. But, and if you're going to say it, make it funny. If you're going to talk about a subversive topic, first of all, the most palatable way to talk about a subversive topic is through satire and humor. But you have to make it funny. And, and even on the way to making it funny there's a building process. You, you, you have to work the material out and see what's working and what's not. Well, that is, that is where we get in trouble mm -hmm. because it is the only art form where you need an audience to tell you if it's funny and also to tell you where the line is. Like, oh, people will always say, oh, you crossed the line. Well, listen, I needed you to tell, we, we don't know where the line is until we've gone over it a lot, 90% of the time. And so like you're an author and you, you, you interview authors all the time. Do they write a, a part of a book, maybe to one friend, they'll say, I'm working on this chapter, can you take a look at it? Okay, comics are, are it's a solitary, you know, uh, work environment. And then you get on stage and the audience tells you what you need to know. A painter doesn't write like a 10th of a paint. I mean, you know, paint a 10th of a painting and then bring an audience in to say, should I put the sun here? Should I move it? Should I put the tree? But we do, that's the only way we can do our job. So don't shit on us in our home, you know? And also you don't like one joke. We should be we yeah. should never be able to, like, if you don't like, I'm sure there's plenty of authors who've written multiple books. Someone doesn't like one of their six books. Do you say that person should never write again? Do you tell a songwriter who wrote one shitty song that they should never, you know, perform or write another song? No, you change the fucking channel on the radio. Amen. Why, why are we here? And that 16-year-old, they should just shoot him in the head right now. That, that's oh, my, my God. <laughs> if you could have read the email, too, I was like. 
you know, and then, and, and talking about the Holocaust, I mean, look, I'm sure we're close to the same age. Okay. I'm 104. Yes. Okay. So I'm 102. Oh, great. And, yeah. So, but we, I grew up, I'm a, I'm a Jewish girl. I grew up, my father served in World War II, you know, I grew up with the Holocaust. I wasn't there, but, but it was a part of, you know, our zeitgeist, yeah. you know, and it still remains a huge part of, 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 you know, Jewish community zeitgeist. But what my experience of meeting Holocaust, I mean, like I, I met Holocaust survivors. I mean, there's not that many left and children of Holocaust, you know, look, it was, you know, I was born in 1962. It was, I thought as a kid, I'm like, oh, that happened so long ago. It didn't happen that long ago. When we look it back at 17, it. It ended yeah. 17 years before I was born. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So that, that would be like being born at, that would be like the Holocaust happened in 2003 right now. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's a good point. I like that, Tony. It's it, it, it blows my mind. Yeah. It, it, like sometimes I'm just like this, you know, the, the things that uh, we, you know, the things we, we go through as kids in the 1970s and 1980s don't, don't feel that far that long ago. But then when we find out like this 16 year old was born in 2004. So, so what are these kids going to be when, what, how is the world going to be when it's two, 2040, 2050 and the, right. and the, and the good looking without, people like us are gone. Right. I mean, and that's, we're that's gone. It. And there's a world without laughter, without humor, because you're triggered. You know, when you don't listen to the entire thought, you know, and you say, oh, I heard that word, so I can't listen anymore. Or what's happening now? You don't agree with me politically. You did a joke about Trump, so I'm done. I can't listen to you. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's, you know, if you're going to banish, banish wisely. Uh, But... I, yeah, I agree. And that's, and well, here's the problem. I, here's a huge problem I have is everyone's kind of screaming at the same volume about everything. So, you know, right. they, they, they'll scream at the same volume at the time, like Mon- the whole Monica Lewinsky thing with uh, Bill Clinton. There was a scream, 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 scream from, right, people, right. from, from the, the, the less virtues. There was a less population of virtue signalers at that time, but boy, did they scream. Right. And then, the collective scream has just gotten larger and larger for every little, every little misstep. And now we get to something that's actually important, like Black Lives Matter, like police brutality. But they've been like screaming. a fucking worldwide pandemic. And yeah. yeah pandemic but they've racism. been, they've been yeah, screaming at the same yeah. level. They, they, if you, you can't scream at the same level all the time. So when, we, when you're at the same level of screaming you've had, I'm going, I don't, um, you know, I, I, don't, uh, I don't believe that you actually care that much because you've been screaming about a joke that uh, Dave Chappelle did in 2017 just right, as loud right. as you're screaming about a pandemic right now. Right, right. So Where, the a- outrage, doesn't, it doesn't match. And, you know, you bring up Monica Lewinsky, which is a perfect example of bipartisan humor. So it didn't matter what side of the political landscape you were on. Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton was a Trevor Trove of material for comedians. It didn't matter. No one cared if you were a Republican or a Democrat. Um, that was a gift to comics. Um, and, and George W. Bush, who also didn't take himself, even though not a good president. No, that seriously. It blows you know? my mind that people. Like, it blows my mind that my friends are like, "Oh my God, Bush wasn't as bad as I thought he was." Yes, like, he was. Like, He's a terrible piece of shit. What? But, but when you compare him to, yeah. you know, a person who has no empathy, or you know, you realize now, okay, Bush was a really shitty president. Maybe not that bad of a guy, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but. There's, I mean, Trump is like, I mean, I just, how you take character out of this job description to me is, anyone else would be fired. But, and he gets away. He gets away. Pocahontas, you know, sleepy this one, um, you know, tired so-and-so, grab the pussy. He still has his job. And yet a comedian 
who does a joke you don't like, a joke you're offended by, should be shut down and never be able to do their art again. If you go to a comedy club and you get upset about being offended at something, that it's like going to a, uh, an amusement park and getting on a roller coaster and it being upset that you got scared or sick, you know? And that's part of the game. When I was a kid, if you didn't get sick on one roller coaster when you were at the amusement park, you did you something wrong. You went on wrong. another one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like, well, that one didn't make me sick. Let's right. go higher. Let's go harder. Right. And, 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 and being offended is a choice. I mean, it really is yeah. because it's what you do with that. You know, you can say that I find that offensive. I find that offensive. And then move on with your fucking life. Be offended. That's right. great. Or, Walk okay. away. So you recognize that that offends you. Yeah. Okay. Move on. Yeah. Not calm. You know, move on. Yeah, <laughs> or dot org because it would be yeah, a nonprofit org. organization because yeah, we donate yeah. half the proceeds to yeah. you know, yeah. It's uh, what's what's interesting about um comedians trying to what, what I find when I when a when I when I in my limited view of it on this side of the on this side of the uh of the stage, but I feel like when a comedian is really tackling an issue and making and hitting something that's kind of really uncomfortable. They usually, if you kind of really look at like interviews with them and stuff, they've tried to work on this for a long time. It means oh, something course. to them. It, it, it takes forever. And there's a heart. Ever to write a bit. It takes a really yeah. long time. It's a lot of trial and error. You know, one syllable can ruin a joke. Um, timing, uh, you know, reference. Um, it's it is it is a process and when you decide uh okay well now this word cannot be used anymore so figure it out it's like saying yeah. you can't use the the color green anymore it's offensive to this right. group of people um so we're not using that so figure it out without no no and you know my truth and your truth are different. And maybe you could fucking learn something from someone yes. who's older than you. You know, I, I talk about disabled. There's a bunch of disabled comics um, who literally get on stage and they, of course, have to talk about their disability immediately because it's the elephant in the room, which is right. also what we do is we talk about the elephant in the room because we're not scared. Um, and these people get on stage talk about their disability and the, they break a stigma so that the next time someone sees someone with that disability, they can be like, Oh, I saw that comic. And Oh, I, yeah, I understand you a little. I mean, it is, it's a uniter. It's a coping mechanism, humor. It is, a, it, it relieves tension, alleviates tension. That's what a joke is. It's build up attention, build up of tension and then a release, but it's also a weapon. Because you can cut someone, which is why Orange Fuckface can't, you know, he cannot have a, you know, a, a, a comedian at the White House Correspondence Center. And he wants, he wants SNL investigated. What the fuck? I mean, it, it, it is a powerful art form, satire. It is so powerful because it sneakily says things um, that need to be said. And it's a trick in a way. And people don't like being tricked. People who are dishonest and have no sense of humor, you know. But I mean, Andy Borowitz, what would the world be without Andy Borowitz? I mean, he's brilliant. The, um, and, and the other thing is it's kind of hard because it's hard to satirize something that's so absurd. If the, if the absurdity is already there. So like, right. or, so like orange fuckface, or as I right. like to call him, orange fuckface. Um, right. They, uh, it's, it's, it, he's already doing his own work. There, there's kind of, even when- Well, even well that's when I, why Sarah Cooper is so popular because she's literally taking his words and just, I mean, she doesn't have to write the script. Oh, she is funny. Right, but it's literally, yeah. It's sort of saying, you can't write this shit. That is her act is basically, can't make this shit up. Yeah. And, you know, if you, if you look at interviews with her, 
you know, she was in the corporate world and she used to see guys go into meetings, you know, and uh, they had heard something, a new word, like two hours before. So they decide they're going to use that word over and over again. <laughs> right. Or, you know, they just overly sell shit. Like uh, they're just guys. So uh, yeah, whatever I'm saying is, and that's how she presents it. Like, it's it's she's brilliant as is randy rainbow you know they're and, brilliant and what's great about well what you see i look at her and like i think you know probably a lot of people go oh that's easy i wish i thought of that i can do it but she no that's not something that you can just do that's something that you learn the facial expressions that's something oh, that you also, that's an exercise yeah, also, you've been working for a long time to just pump that right out. but also the character she puts you know like the person listening um uh it it just she just accentuates the absurdity of it without i mean literally his fucking i mean it's ridiculous yeah it's ridiculous and because i love like i love alec baldwin you know i love and yeah but i didn't like i didn't care for snl when they went hard on trump because i'm like why do i want to watch this when I'm watching the same, there's nothing to, there's almost nothing to make fun of for me because it's already too sad when we're in the middle of it. Right. You know, it's got, it has gotten to a point of he's so dangerous. Um, and it is sad. It is sad. Um, but as my mother always said, if we weren't laughing, we'd be crying. And that's where we are right now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> And even, <clears throat> sorry there, even with, um, you know, even with like George Carlin, like, you know, and just the, the, the people that you brought up in the book who've actually been arrested. Right. So you have story. Lenny Bruce, yes. right? So Lenny Bruce is arrested for cursing, but they really wanted to get him on the substance of his material of the yeah. talking about segregation and the Vietnam war, uh, and the government truth about the government. Um, George Carlin was in a police car with Lenny because they were at a club and they asked George, they asked George Carlin for his ID, the police. And he said, I don't, I don't believe in government issued identification. They were like, come on, let's go. You know, you go back to the treachery act of 1934 in, in Germany. You know, if you made a joke about Hitler, you were killed. You know, we're getting to that. We're not there. And everyone stop with your hyperbole. Oh, she said this. And, you know, this is what they do. They misconstrue. And then they go on their fucking, you know, platform. And then, you know, it used to be that if you had a crazy conspiracy theory or a crazy opinion, your family would be like, all right, really? You're crazy. Go to your room. Go to the basement. Whatever. Okay, this is... But now you have these crazy thoughts, these crazy conspiracy theories, and you can then go on the internet and find a thousand people who are like, yeah! And, and everyone doesn't deserve a soapbox. Yeah, I, <clears throat> and, and in fact, not even they don't deserve a soapbox, they shouldn't have a soapbox. Right. Because right. there's been no thought they're sitting in their rooms. They're, they're, they're turning 16. They're going to go, I think I'm funny. My friends laugh at me. I'm going to take a comedy class. But right. if the 50-year-old woman in there does any Holocaust jokes, I'm going to make sure that right. she's canceled because... And, and they, this is it, not it, it, funny. This is not funny. But, you know, you go back to the, the concentration camps. They were, they were putting on shows for each other. It's, how, it's coping in one of the worst situations there's gal awesome. that's what gallows humor is you know yeah. it's like we're so, so in the book this is one of my favorite stories is that i was because i was talking to gilbert godfrey who got fired from affleck because right when the tsunami hit um japan before anyone had any idea how bad it was it was just like there's a tsunami his fans and twitter was new at the time we're like, aren't you going to do inappropriate jokes about the tsunami, which is what he does, inappropriate, you know, gallows humor, you know. And, um, and he was like, oh, sure. Not knowing, no one knew how bad it was. Uh, 
And then later on that day, we find out horrible, how horrible it was. And uh, he gets fired from Aflac. And he said that night he's sitting uh, at his apartment watching the news. And uh, the newscasters that, you know, talking about the destruction and the death and devastation of this tsunami uh, and, you know, what's going on. And then he says, and to make matters worse, <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried. And Gilbert is like, wait, I made matters where I, I made matter. I, I didn't even know I was that important that I, you know, he said, apparently I'm a big star now that I made matters worse. And it's like, no, he didn't make matters worse. He was doing material that maybe he would have waited a few more days had we known the situation. Um, but why is it okay when, when news, uh, you know, cable news networks report erroneous stories. Uh, you know, 8,000 people were killed. I mean, 4,000 people were killed. I mean, one person was killed, you know? And it's, that's fine, but a comic makes a mistake or has a bad joke. You know, I often wonder, Kathy Griffin's photo that got her in so much trouble, yes, how okay. would that be, would she get in the same amount of trouble today? after he has killed so many people. I gotta say, so when the, when the Kathy, Kathy Griffin photo came out, I was like, oh, okay. You know, I, you know, I was just like, oh yeah, you know, it did, I didn't find it funny, but I didn't care. Right. No, I wasn't it's, outraged. It's, it's, it's her right. It's, you know, she's a comedian. Yeah. Bad joke, didn't hit. It doesn't matter to me. But what, he still what, can't answer her phone. But the thing is, is she apologized so fast? And it really, it hurt me when she apologized. Because it was, they were at, coming after her, the FBI death threats. She still cannot answer her own phone. It is crazy. And it, it's, right. it sucks that she, that she had to apologize. Cause then I was just like, wait a second, you know, cause it wasn't just a, um, oh, this is funny. I'll take a snapshot. That was that right. was that was a photo shoot. That you know, I'm sure that was all day right. long. They were like, "Oh, why don't we do this? This is interesting." Right. You know, blah blah blah. Yeah. But and then and then she and then she and then she uh, reversed her apology, and then and I and I'm just like, "Oh, it's like because there's damage control." You know, you have these people yeah. like in the spur of the moment, like you gotta you gotta get out of this. You got you know, all you want to do is get because you're so you're misunderstood. You know, they're like, oh, okay, if this is going to make it go away, but it doesn't go away because we have the fucking internet. Right. And, and I, you know, my claim to fame with Kathy Griffin is I got to sit next to uh, her, her and her friends talking at a restaurant once and they were, they were so cute. I was, right. like, sit, I was like sitting there and I was like having a lunch over here and I was just like, who are these lovely ladies that are hilarious and having a great time? And I'm like, and that's Kathy Griffin. Of right. course, of course. And I, you know, I just, it was so, it was so exciting just to kind of see her in her element and then just right. like turn around and go, oh, that's cute. It's nice to right. know. Uh, right. but, um, but it's like that's Joan was misunderstood too, Joan Rivers. You know, I had yeah. a whole chapter about Joan. And, you know, I had to dedicate a chapter to her because she is free speech. You know, when she died, so many comedians were affected by her um, and her comedy. And even Chris Rock said she is the Mount Rushmore of yeah. comedy. She really is. And she was fearless, never more relevant than when she died at 82. Yeah. She was always talking about the elephant in the room, always saying what everyone was thinking and afraid to say. And this is her job. That was her job. And she never apologized. The only time she apologized was uh, Willie Nelson's daughter wrote to her because she had a bit about Willie Nelson uh, and being a pothead. And uh, Willie Nelson's daughter wrote to her. And it's said, weird and because there's nothing about Willie that talks pot in any way at all. Yeah, right. Yeah. But <laughs> so she, the daughter wrote, to her and said, I'm getting teased in school. Oh, uh, how old said, is she? Oh, I don't know, like preteen, teen, okay, you know, okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, She's Joan in college like, and you're like, shut up. No, yeah, I'm no, 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 <laughs> she was a kid. And so she, Joan took it out. But when, you know, she would get so much shit for the Elizabeth Taylor stuff. Uh, 
And she called Roddy McDowell, who was a friend of hers and a friend of Elizabeth's and said, is Elizabeth upset about, you know, and Elizabeth was like, I don't care. I, I don't, you know, it doesn't bother me where I live. And yet everyone else, it bothers everyone else, you know? Um, and, you know, she had such a profound effect on so many performers and you think about it. She was persona non grata. She was, you know, Johnny dumped her. Her husband commits suicide. She, no one wants to book her. She goes back to the clubs. And what's her material? It's about her fucking dead husband committing suicide. I spread his ashes at Neiman Marcus. So uh, he, he knew I would visit him or something, you know, whatever. But this is hers to talk about. Don't tell yeah. her she can't talk about. Prior, after, after his, um, he blew himself up. First thing he talked about when he got on stage yeah. was, you know, what it's like to light yourself on fire. I, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's, it, uh, the, the fact that we have gotten to this point where, Sorry, that, that makes me feel uncomfortable, so you can't say that. No, sorry. So you know, it's you know, like, yeah, go ahead. Doing a push-up makes me feel uncomfortable, but I got to do it because right. I know that it's, you know, I'm going to get fatter and fatter right, and I, right. if I don't. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I was just, okay, I was just thinking about this, and I don't know if you know him. Uh, the whole Brian, Brian Callen, is that the guy yeah. that mm – -hmm. <clears throat> He's the, the um, he got accused of what he had. Okay, so I don't know the whole story, but he got accused of rape recently on social media, mm -hmm. and then they shut down his podcast, mm -hmm. uh, and he restarted his own. and And the the way the news is covering it, and and you know, I I I'm not gonna believe at this point. I don't believe anyone until it's proven. It's I I'm not gonna believe anyone out the gate, but. Um, the way the news covers it is like, and he's asking people to help him fund his podcast. And I'm just going, I looked at it, it was just like a $5 membership fee. Right. But they, everyone has to take this outrage angle, like with the Gilbert Gottfried thing, where it's like, why are the newscasters even, well, no, it's not the same. <laughs> no, it isn't because, you know, look, I'm in the comedy world yeah, for yeah. a long time. You know, when you are raping and you're accused of rape, but I know that men have a different, a lot of men, not all men have a different viewpoint. Um, well, don't get me offended. Cause I'm a man. Uh, yeah, I hear you. Um, you know, there is systemic misogyny. Mm -hmm. it, well, everywhere, except for maybe nursing and teaching and flight attending, but um, the culture of standup, it, it, you know, we are put in situations and theater too. You're put in situations where there are no boundaries whatsoever, but. <laughs> oh my God. Could that have come at the worst time? Okay. Um, okay. So we were talking so, about. So technical glitch there. But you said that uh, what we were, where there was no boundaries whatsoever. Right. Uh, so there's so. no boundaries. But you know, you as a woman, um, you cannot. You have to take each one of these situations seriously. You know. Um, so so Brian works for a corporation, and you know when you decide to take a lot of money from a corporate entity, you're selling part of your soul. You're selling, you have to realize that what you do off stage is going to um, be monitored. And if you're willing, if you want that money, you have to give up something uh, and sorry, Sorry that, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I just, it, the whole thing is, is really, you know, this idea, don't blame the victim, first of all. And second of all, yeah, you're going to get dropped. And it's, sometimes it's sad, but it is the nature of, you know, I have a whole 
chapter about, you know, look at Roseanne. Look at... Um, yeah. Look no, at, that, that's, that still pains me, the Roseanne thing, because I think I, I find her, I, I, I wasn't a fan, I'm not, I don't think her show's, I never thought her show was funny. I just didn't get it, but I think right. she's funny. I, as a comedian, she's good. And then the way she was dropped just blew my mind. Well, she works for a network and she yeah. wrote a very racist tweet. You know, you gotta, there's, you know, it's, it's interesting. I don't even remember the tweet. I just remember she it was It was about Valerie Jarrett, but the yeah. um the you know there in a, on a very small much um, very much smaller scale um comedians talk to each other way different than we talk to people who aren't comedians i mean we say we always think where's the joke no matter how ornery the situation no matter how big of a tragedy you know, we will be like, uh-huh, did you, you know, it, immediately, because that's how we think. Yeah. Um, but we'll only tell one another, because some people won't get it, some people find it inappropriate. So we do have this trust amongst ourselves, and we know when to share with an audience and share with each other. So when you're working, you know, for a corporation you're selling part of your soul. Yeah. You're going to make the money, then you got to realize you got to abide by these rules. You know, I, I've done corporate gigs where they're like, can you not do this? And can you not do that? And part of me wants to go, fuck you, fuck you. But you know, if it's a lot of money and I need the money, all right, I, don't, I don't have to mention politics that night. Fine. I don't have to, you know, I'm not doing this to, I'm doing this to pay my bills. Right. Um, but of course, you know, people said Louis should never perform again. Look, Louis's not Bill Cosby. Right, and, exactly. But he, he's not going to be able to perform in certain places because certain people don't want him there. Fine, you want a club, you don't want to book him, don't book him. But yeah. you, you can't say he can't do his art. You got, right. he just, and... For a lot of people, he's not going to be funny anymore because we know a little more about him. So that joke doesn't ring funny because the person you thought he was is not the person you think he is now. Yeah. Um, I talk about in the book, you know, Coco Chanel was embedded with the Nazis. And yet I'll go to synagogue on Rosh Hashanah and, every, and there, everyone's in a Chanel suit, Chanel shoes, Chanel purse, Chanel scarf. Yeah. It's, but with comedians, it's, it's, it's like this, such a personal, and we do bear our souls and everything, but, you know, Bill Cosby is now performing for inmates. And which is sad <coughs> that, you know, people, I remember, and I, I also wrote about this in the book, that after the whole Bill Cosby thing, which we all had heard about, like everyone hears, you know, in the community. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. We didn't what... know about how bad it was, but yeah. 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 You know, we heard, oh, he's a, we don't know how bad of a predator he was, but right. it was like, oh, be careful, you know, um, that I had, a, I had a driver driving me to a gig and he was one of these go, oh, why didn't the women come out before? It's like, okay, so this woman who's a, you know, a waitress is going to go against like the most beloved, you know, powerful right. man. Yeah. It's not going to work. So there were power in numbers, but this driver was like, I don't know why they didn't wait. I mean, I can't imagine he did that. And I, I finally said to the guy, look, Dr. Huxtable didn't do it. Bill Cosby did it. Right. And that's where that, that's the saddest part that you can't separate the man from the act. And that, that the Cosby show was such an important show. It, it, it represented people who were not represented on television, these white collar African-American families, yeah. you know, and representation on television is so important. I mean, Will and Grace did, they say more for the gay movement than, you know, Stonewall, whatever. But, yeah. it, you know, it's sad that, that generations, young generations of young African-Americans and non-African-American, non-people of color can't, 
you know, witness this great show, this great sitcom, because it's such sitcoms and laughter are such a part of our culture. I mean, what other country has sitcoms that, you know, and when I was growing up, those sitcoms and those characters and those sitcoms were like as much a part of my family as my family was. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it just, it's, you know, that, that's another thing where I love, like, my, my, I used to do college radio. So, you know, on those graveyard shifts, we had, the, we had old Bill Cosby records. And his bits were hilarious on right. some of those. And who it, knew? Yeah. yeah as, you know, with the whole, you know, and then by the time the Cosby show comes out, I just don't get it. Maybe because I grew up like, a lo- you know, I just didn't grow up like that in any way at all. So any, like, any TV show or film that showed like rich people, I just, I was kind of like, uh, right, oh, but I, ha- I have these problems over here. Right, but right. But for some other people who needed to see rich. Oh, but that's, yeah, not that, not discounting it. it. I look back at that and go, that is, that was so important. And that's right. so fantastic because we need to know all of these angles. And, it's and so, also, yeah. you know, you think about all in the family would never get on the air today. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about the episode of Maud where she decides to have, they decide to have an abortion, you know, that would never get on the air today. These yeah. are, and, and these were issues, this, all these, these um, shows where everyone watched them at the same time. And there were only, you know, five networks, whatever, really three, but it, it, it created discourse. And that's what comedy and humor and satire does. It creates Okay, you may not like the joke, but I got you talking about racism. I got you talking about the Holocaust. I talk, I got you talking about immigration, didn't I? You know, um, when I came out on stage and in the mid '90s, and I, you know, I, I was came out. I had material about being a gay parent, you know, and I would get on stage and talk about my family. And after like two minutes, all the other parents who were all straight in the audience would be like, "Oh, that's the same stuff we deal with," you know. Yes. And it, it brought us together. You know, yeah. you're in a comedy club and you're, you don't know who you're sitting next to. You could be sitting next to someone you hate, but you don't know you hate them because you don't know what their background is or whatever. You right. just, right. You know, who you would normally hate. And you're sitting there like laughing together. It just brings people together, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, Trump likes to divide people because that's how we get fear, fear, fear. But comedy unites people and yeah. i think i don't know i it's the the it's just awful you can't say a fucking thing and everyone's gonna get insulted and i now get on stage and i'm like if you like trump get you're not you're not gonna like my comedy and you're not getting your money back um and you know after every joke you know i get ooh, we never got Ooh, ah, after every fucking joke, it's like, shut up. What is your fucking problem? It's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. I, how, how, can we, how can we shift this huge barge of offended, of the offended culture? How can this shift? Do you think that there's going to be pushback? Because every time I'm sitting there going, oh, it can't get worse. And then it gets worse. And I know. Even get more. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're, you're, you guys are like, you're creating that you're creating your own sitcom where I'd sit back right. and laugh if I was watching this 10 years ago. Right. I'd be like, that's hilarious. That would never happen. Right. And it's happening. Right. But now I'm like, Oh, this could even get worse. I, right. I don't know how we shift it. I don't know. Like, what do we do? You know, I, I feel like people have to keep fighting. Um, comics can't cave to right. this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think my book is an important step. Um, yeah. And just, we got to talk about it. And, you know, Trump has, Trump is a lot, you know, has, he's a symptom of this, but he's also the cause of people turning on you in an audience, you, you know, because you don't agree with them politically and then they can't listen to the, they can't laugh at any other joke, you know, because, oh, you made a joke, you know, and that's him. Um, I grew up a Jehovah's Witness and, which is essentially a cult. It's, it's, it's a cult and it has a very cult mindset. And what I, how, 
everyone reacted in the Jehovah's Witnesses about every little minor, every little minor offense is the exact same thing I'm happening on a worldwide scale. And it's right. crap out of me because I've already lived this and I already fought for it. And I had to fight to get out of that belief system. And it took years right. of therapy. Uh, right. Of course. To get there. It's but, a cult, but it's culty. This whole, yeah. this whole full outrage is culty. I wrote a, I wrote a joke. I said, you know, when the pandemic came, um, I tweeted and they said, you have to sing, you have to wash your hands and sing happy birthday twice. And I said, well, what are the Jehovah's Witnesses going to sing? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> right. But, you know, someone is like, what are they? You know, and those are the kind of jokes that will piss people off, but they're, you know, and, and yeah. for no reason. Well, to me, it's such a tragedy because I was that kid in school, you know, all through school who was like, oh, right. now we're having a birthday party. Right. And Tony Duchesne has to go to the library. And right, it's just right. Like, it's just like, let's just make your tragedy even worse and worse. Right, and worse. right, right, right. So when I hear that joke, I, I just delight that the joke is being said because I'm like, right. It acknowledges, yes. That's yes. exactly the power of comedy right yeah. there. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, I'm just doing my podcast and I had Alex Edelman on who is a writer. He's great. And so, and a comic. And um, I had heard him tell this joke and th th this is the perfect joke. So um, th this guy, uh, this Holocaust survivor dies and he goes to heaven and he's up in heaven and, you know, he's standing online for yogurt. And, you know, God's waiting for some, you know, he's on the yogurt line, whatever, you know, and him and God start talking and um, he tells God a joke about, you know, being in a concentration camp. And God says, I, I don't really think that's funny. <laughs> and the Holocaust survivor says, well, I guess you had to be there. <laughs> that is a perfect joke. And yet yeah. someone, you said the Holocaust, that 16 year old, you know. Well, what's beautiful about that joke is why would there be yogurt in heaven? Because frozen, was it frozen yogurt or yogurt? Okay, whatever, I just made it up. <laughs> Annoying. I do like the, You're I, uh, annoying. no, no, I love that. I'm not, I'm saying that I love the specifics because yeah. the specifics. But that's what that, the truth is funny and you have to be specific. That's why, you know, yeah. I have a whole chapter about, you know, called, well, you know, I didn't say they're all cheap and it's about stereotypes and where they come from. Understand where they come from before you're going to use them, you know? And use them in a specific way to tell the story, to tell the joke, to make the joke better. But understand where that comes from. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh I had another um, question. So, like, so in the comedian community, like when when things are happening, like with with Bill Cosby, it was known that he was kind of he. It was known he was a piece of shit. You just didn't know. Well, I I had heard, you know. Just from working on shows and stuff, uh, I think I remember um, when I worked at Rosie, I think, I don't know if he was on, I don't, I worked, was working at some show and they told the PA not to go up to his hotel, meet him in the lobby or meet him at the car or something like that. You know, there were, you know, he's a pig. People, yes, there were, we didn't know the specifics, but of course, yeah. Yeah. We'd heard. Yeah. There's smoke, there's fire. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, it's, what's, what's funny, I mean, not, well, this isn't funny, but yeah. where, you know, even when I have friends or people, not friends, but like maybe people 20 years ago I used to work with or whatever, and something will happen and you just kind of go, you know what, that fits their narrative. Right. It just, it, that fits. And, right. and it's, and when, uh, and it's the ones where you're like, wait a second, that totally doesn't fit. Right. And, and, and it, it's, we have a, we have an intuition, I guess. Right. Right. We have a vibe. Right. Whereas, you know, it's, uh, there was, there was, there was, there was, I won't say who the author was, but he was accused of, he was accused of rape and it kind of became a whole lawsuit thing. And I went, and I'm like, I know that guy, 
I know, I know he's not cool. I've never, I've never trusted him, but I don't think he's, I think he's done very inappropriate things. I know he has, but I don't think he's a rape guy. And there's just something in me that was just like, that's not a rape guy, but he, um, I know he's, I know he's done yeah, yeah, yeah. many, uh, he's probably done almost everything up to it. But, but it's like, like yeah. yeah, as if, uh, but he's not, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So fucking ridiculous. It's crazy. Uh, but uh, so, I mean, and then in the and then in the end, how can we become better humans? You know, because just in general, I I, get, well, I, get, I mean, you have to educate. You have to, you know, hear. You know, comedy and satire is seeing the world through someone else's eyes. You have to allow yourself to do that, yeah. and allow people to own their own stories. And stop taking yourself so fucking seriously yeah what's happened oh here's what's happened this is what i had this thought like you know probably 20 days ago and it just came back <laughs> she looks at her watch <laughs> oh no i was looking yeah <laughs> no no no, 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 no this one's yeah. important no it's probably not important at all but it, it's the days when cu the customer is always right so right. like years ago when you're like you know what this steak is too rare you need to take it back and so the restaurant had to always appease this customer. I used to work at Pizzeria Uno's. And it was, right. just, it was a nightmare because it's a huge corporation. So you got to appease the lowest common denominator piece of shit customer in the room. Right. Because they're the one that's going to scream the loudest. And this is before Yelp. And then now we're in this whole Yelp era where it's just like, oh, you better, um, you, you know, we have to make sure this customer is fine. Right. And so it's, we're always kind of appease. We're always trying to make sure the lowest common denominator piece of shit human who right. is just a little upset that their French fries a little too crispy right. gets taken care of. And I think we've taken care of those people way too much. So now it's, it's blown up to this whole thing where someone goes, Oh, this, um, you know, this horseradish is touching my meat or whatever. Right, right, right. And well, everyone, you know, it's, everyone has a soapbox. Everyone's complaint is, is valid and important. It's no, ridiculous. it's not. How do we stop that? Let's blow up, let's blow up the soapbox. Let's blow up the complaint department. Yeah, I, I'm in. How do we do that? Uh, Tony, don't, don't ask me. I think you're on the way because you wrote okay. the book. This is, a, this is a book that I want. I, this is a book I love to read. This is a book I want other comedians to write. This is, this is a book that, I mean, when, I, think when, I think when we get, it's so funny because books give authority, right? Right. Like you could say something on stage so long and then all of a sudden, oh, it's a book. Oh, right. how did that happen? Oh, you must be intellectual. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, and I have a book out, and it's just like I, not the, I was never really, I never went to college or anything. I just right. crafted, and you know. Anyway, but once it's a book, and once it gets into other people's hands that may not be your audience, that's when people can have more conversation about right. it. Right. That's that's why I love books because right. that's when we can kind of really come together and sink in and understand. Yeah, I hear. It. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Jew. I'm a Jew. Okay. <laughs> Judy, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Take care, Tony. Judy Gold on Drinks with Tony. Check out her book, Yes, I Can Say That. When they come for the comedians, we're all in trouble. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week when we have Rose Anderson, the author of the memoir, The Heart and Other Monsters, on the show. Have a great weekend.